Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and people who want to become DJs, this episode of the podcast is supported by Doing the Damage, the only DJ pool focused exclusively on house and dance music. Supplying the best remixes, bootlegs, mashups and exclusive promos from their global network of DJs and producers. Check it out now at doingthedamage.com. In this episode, I talked to PBH in his home studio in York, England. Paul is an international DJ and successful producer as part of the dynamic duo PBH and Jack Shizzle. He's also a resident at one of the greatest clubs in the world, BCM, in Magaluf, every summer. And we reminisce and talk a whole lot of shit. But we also do focus on discussing how he broke into the industry through running his own club nights and how he built and maintains a successful brand in an ever-changing industry. So let's dive right in. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Right, we're in the house. In fact, we're in um, PBH's house. Uh, it's very lovely. We're in his studio, which is in his garage. Um, tell me about the, the hook wall. I love it. The hook wall? We've got to... Um... Got to thank Ikea for those, I think. So, I can't remember what they're called now, actually. I had a box. It's it? awesome. It's like a kind of a wall with loads of holes in it. And Paul's got like a screwdriver. He's got his mail. He's got some baseball caps. Some got headphones. a link roller as well, which is essential for black, <laughs> black, black T-shirts and black hoodies. For being for the DJ attire. Yeah. I'm also into the um, clip on dildo on your desk. Uh, to be confused <laughs> with a clip on dildo, also used to clip on and hook the GoPros at gigs. There yeah. you go. So that's yeah. that's that's cleared that up. Right. I don't want to look at your top drawer by the bed door. <laughs> I'm going to ask you what's in your cupboard later. But we're going to dive back. The, the, the way this podcast starts is we're going to go like right, 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 way back. And the sort of first question really is, what can you remember as like your first, um, like what can you just remember musically being the first what were you listening to? What were your parents listening to? What's the first music you can oh, even right back remember so, hearing? So, I was in a Ford Sierra, which I can still remember the smell of it. Do you remember the smell of your mum and dad's car? That sort of plastic leather. They had a weird smell cars back then, I think. <laughs> I, think I think cars are quite odourless nowadays. If, well, if you're in a clean car, they are. And um, they had that kind of like, yeah, that leathery kind of plasticky smell. And it was Glen Campbell. My dad used to listen to Glen Campbell. And... Um, country western singer from the states. He's got Alzheimer's now. I went to see him. I went to see him about seven years ago. Okay. Before I lost my dad, I took my mum and dad to see him actually in York on his last ever tour. Wow! And it was amazing. I was like the only kid in this room. It was all grands and granddads with blue rinses, and it was amazing. Probably the best gig I've ever been to. Wow! So I remember. Just, like, I they remember. were so into him. They were all so into him. I remember my dad used to listen to. Um, Michael Bolton in the car okay. when he used to pick me up. like, And then he took me to see Michael Bolton when I was about 14 in Glasgow. And it was, yeah, it was insane. I mean, it was Michael Bolton, but it was still, like, insane. So so, so kind of the first music you were listening to was, was country and western. Yeah, yeah. And so then, I wish I'd weighed Avicii Wake Me Up. That, <laughs> that, never, that never came to fruition. And then, so was that, were you listening to, like, radio stations? Were you listening to, because it's totally different now with playlists and, you know, we, we was talking to this about a friend the other day about kids now, like, sort of, they get to pick what they're listening to. They listen to the playlist, they listen to Spotify, they listen to YouTube. 
Were you, could, were you Everything's on demand nowadays, yeah, and but, it wasn't back then. So I, if you fast forward to me as a mid-teenager, yeah. I was listening to Judge Jules on a Saturday night, right. and I was recording it, you know, uh, on cassette yeah. quite often. Play and I, used to, I used to love Jules's phrases. Like judge don't budge. Yeah, the judge don't budge, and like things like I think it was like tunes with more clout than Mike Tyson and stuff like that. All those, it was like it was serious music, but a few cheesy phrases thrown in, and I just used to love the way he presented and stuff, and that was that kind of got me hooked on dance music. And for anyone that, that doesn't know, Judge Jules still obviously you know a legend in the game. He's now a very important and high powered music lawyer. Yeah, he's, because he looks after you, me and Jack on a, on a, on a, as a lawyer went, capacity the now. The reason he's called Judge Jules is because he did a law degree. Yeah, did mad. you know? That used to play a trumpet in his set. Didn't know that, no. That's how we kind of like got noticed. Was right, it used okay. to play like Timmy Trumpet does these days? It used to play a trumpet in his set. I'd like to think I'm quite a Judge Jules nerd. Okay. If I was doing a, a Q&A session, it could be one of my specialist subjects. Okay. And that's so it leads on to another, another question with you, which was that was obviously your first exposure to a DJ. Like you were sort of aware of DJs because they were on the radio playing records yes yeah radio one was like it was the bible back then wasn't it, it yeah. was there was the forefront of um like dance music and the world and you you had no choice you had no apple music you had no spotify you had no soundcloud no youtube it was just radio one or i think round about that time as well we started getting into the ministry of sound annuals me and my friends okay so it was like you're buying 20 pound records yeah. if you're a dj you're spending 15 quid on a two-packed leather-bound Ministry of Sound CD, or you're listening to Radio 1. Mixed probably by Boy George. That's it. Yeah. Pete Tong and Boy George, yeah. I so did too. you, we're in York, in your, in your house, in your garage studio. Did you grow up in York? Yes. Yeah, York was my, my local, as, so, as I started getting into clubbing. When did you become aware that, other than Judge Jules on Radio 1, other people that you didn't know, like, weren't ready, who were DJs? When did you become aware that people could earn a living out of being a DJ? Um, I guess, like, 18, 19. And where were you going? What was your, first, what was your first time that you saw a DJ? No, sorry, no, no. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 15, because I was doing discos then. I was doing discos before then. So You were doing them? Yeah. yeah. You, were, you were DJing them? Yeah. But let's not go too far ahead then. So who was... Who was the first person you met who was a DJ? Uh, it was a guy called Paul West. Okay. And he used to DJ. My school didn't have a prom. We had a, a rave, effectively. <laughs> so it was a youth club. Every I think it was every two months. It was called Paradise. But you were just basically all in this youth club, massive smoke machine, fill the room full of smoke, couple of crappy twisters. So how old are you? Like this a strobe time? light. I think I'm like 13, 14, 15. And what's he, what's he DJ on? Technics on Technics. Technics turntables. So I'm, I'm the nerd stood up the edge of a DJ stand, yeah. watching the red dots on the platter, yeah. and just basically all my friends are trying to pull girls, yeah. and I'm just stood there staring at these red dots on the platter and watching this guy move his hand backwards and forwards on a record going, this is, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. This is fucking amazing. This, this is, is it. like, you know. This so is, is that the wow. point then, at your school rave, is that the point where you go, that's what I want to do? Yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah. I was hooked then. And then, then after the back of that, there's only so long you go without... Because when you see something in life you want, you're going to do whatever it takes out. You're going to work. You're going to do your paper round more. You're going to get extra shifts. I was a waiter at the time on a weekend and I had a paper round. And 
I was doing more and more shifts just to get save up and buy some decks. So yesterday I was doing a podcast with Sean and he, um, totally different generation. He was like a musician, like he was playing in a band, he was a drummer. Mm-hmm. When he sort of decided he wanted to be a DJ, he bought, and this is no disrespect for anything, we're just doing comparisons here. He bought a controller for £100. And I was like, and he was like, but that was a lot of money. And I was like, yeah, but when I wanted to be a DJ, I had to buy two 1210s. That's why there were less DJs. I had to buy a mixer. Because it was such an investment. I had to buy an amp and speakers. Yeah. Whereas now you buy... I bet we had a similar bedroom set up. Yeah, but now you buy a a controller, you plug it into your laptop, you're Mm -hmm. done. Um, But it's interesting. So how did you then... So did you get Technics or did you get belt drives? Did you get cams? What was your first DJ set Let me just do an adult comparison. So if I go (laughs) to... I can even remember Technics 1210s were 350 quid a pop. So we're going to go 700 quid for those. I had a DJM 600, which was about £600. Yeah. So plus 600. Yeah. I, 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 there, there weren't monitor speakers like KRKs and things then. You just, you just bought you some hi-fi, hi-fi speakers. speakers. Yeah. So let's say 200 quid for hi-fi speakers <coughs> or 150 quid for an amp. Okay. And then I haven't got cartridges, so I want autophone cartridges. Of course. So Nine 120 quid for a pair of them. So that's 120 quid plus... Um, but you, and but some you've got slip no, mats. But you've got no music. You spent two thousand right. okay. pounds. I'm on. I'm on eighteen hundred pounds. And you haven't got anything to play. And I've got no music. <laughs> and I can't go on the internet and download your set. I have to go out and buy records. So that so, what flipping heck? A hundred pounds today, as opposed to back then. And it was harder times back then. I'd say. Yeah. Eighteen hundred pounds just to be able to start learning to DJ and teaching yourself a hobby. Yeah. And it was never see, deemed as a a professional thing with you by your parents or anything. It was yeah. always like a, you know. I think it still seems that today weird. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's what That's crazy, £1,800. And you've got nothing to play? 15, 20 years ago, as opposed to £100 today. Yeah. And, and Sean was saying yesterday, which was super interesting, once he'd spent that £100, he already had his full music collection. Yeah. Because he's already been torrenting stuff, he's already been, you know, um, ripping stuff, he's been buying yeah. some stuff off iTunes, whatever. Sure. But he's already got... So he was like, once I bought my controller... I was ready to go. You know, I've got all my music. Um, so you, excuse my zip. Sorry. So you, so you've got, so you've saved up, and did you, you got, you got Technics twelve tens, right? I got twelve hundreds. You got twelve hundreds. So I'm always that, that idiot that likes to be different to yeah. everyone else. So, um, and what was? Can you remember? Don't be, don't be super cool here. Just be honest. What was the first bit of vinyl you bought? Can you remember? Yes, it was, and um, it's cool. It was. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I went and I went for the badge. I went for the badge. I, went, I got um, Bobby D'Ambrosio featuring yeah. Michelle Weeks' moment of my life, which was on Ministry of Sound yeah. in HMB in York. And that was the first one I bought. And how much was that? I don't... I think Eight it was about... No, no, no. no I think, I'm sure single... Re- it was a single release. Okay. So I think if you bought something that was in the chart, and like that that time, I'm sure tracks like that charted. Yeah. It was. I think it was about four quid, three ninety nine or something. Cool. But that's for a single. That's for one song. So then, so yeah, you've bought one song for four quid. We've already touched on £1,800 for the setup. £1,800, yeah. Five, yeah, £1,800 for the setup. So even if, even if we round it down and say £5 a record. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's not get the calculator out again. But if you're buying chart releases, I'm sure they were three ninety nine. I've okay. still got all the stickers on mine. In fact, I'm at my mum's. But that's still another, my records. what, two or £300 spent before you've got enough to play an hour? Yes, and not necessarily an hour of what's going to work it's an hour of your taste yeah you know your individual taste so what can you remember the first time that you did a gig to people that you 
didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Like to like a, a gig that was like what, a disco or a DJ gig? anything, just a gig that was out. Yeah. Like a, like so so a DJ gig when you when you you DJing, but to kind of people. Well, I, the reason I say you don't know is like I don't count like playing in your kitchen to some mates after and after that. You know that's no, no, like, no. I, I did like, um, I did a disco at the um, social club in Tadcaster where I'm from, and uh, uh, I think I'm like 16 at this point. Did you get paid for it? Yeah, I got so you paid, got paid yeah. for your first gig. Paid, that's yeah. wicked. Yeah, I got paid. So. I don't think I got paid much. I think it was more to help out. So my best friend, Warren, him and his dad had a mobile disco company. Yeah. And his dad knew I was into DJing and stuff and I bought decks. So they were just bothered about playing the cheesy stuff okay. at the disco, which all the, as, as discos were then, that's all they were. They were cheesy party stuff. Yeah. And I'd go on and I'd do a little bit of 90s dance at the time. So it, like, it feels like retro now, but at the time that was very current and cool. Yeah. It's like your two unlimited and your Coronas and all that yeah. stuff. JX. Yeah, maybe not that cool. No, <laughs> no, it was just the bankers, like, and and then I they kind of like hype me up and you know have a bit of a grin, like is is DJ PBH all the way from Ibiza, and I'd go on and do an hour, oh, but it worked. Oh, oh, the irony! It worked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should say Mallorca. All the way from Mallorca. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, that was just. I, I, I can't remember how much I got paid to be honest, but um, it was good fun and it worked. And it was a buzz. And so did you start doing a lot for them? Did you start doing a lot of discos? Is that kind of like... Not a, not loads, but yes. Quite, uh, quite often birthday parties were midweek, I think, back then. My cat's... Just ripped some soundproofing. The bass the bass is gone. Um, so I was working for them, but I was also working in hotel on a weekend as a waiter. So I was getting really good shifts there, doing like more than 12 hours, which was probably illegal, right. yeah, but yeah. earning good money. Employment. And all my friends were out getting drunk on a weekend or partying or just going to house parties. I was always working on a Saturday. So, because obviously at this time, I didn't have the Technics. I had some crappy belt drive decks. Okay. And I wanted to get the Technics. Cams. Uh, no, they were called Omnitronic. Omnitronic. They were terrible. There was no talk on them. So for a year, I couldn't figure out how to beat mix. And then... I was getting I was getting pissed off at myself thinking I'm shit, but and you should you should never say a, a, a what is it what's the phrase a good tool a good uh, yeah man never blames yeah. his tools yeah but, but with belt in drives. this in this case belt drive decks were a waste of money they were they, yeah. they shouldn't have even been made they were pointless so there's no torque on the motor so when I'm pitch bending and I'm pushing the platter the track's going and I'm like couldn't figure out why how to mix. So, did you ever get to the point where you could? I was, I never did, and I was super envious. Paul Bleasdale was the greatest technician I've ever seen of this. Did you ever get to the point where you could beat match on your turntables just by moving the the, the pitch controller as opposed to touching the vinyl or touching? The, no, no. I, I used to watch Paul Bleasdale do that. Oh, it was just ridiculous. So he'd like start a record off, and he's just got his, he's just, and he just. And if he needs to speed it up, he just like it was just insane. Like, I used to do with a tap. You'd hold thirty three yeah, down, and, and then you tap forty five. Yeah, and then just boost. It I was going to say forty four then, forty five. Yeah, just boost it a little bit. Yeah, and that was a good. That was like a pitch bend. That was like an unofficial. I yeah. went to a DJ class in Leeds, and I figured that one out from yeah. a DJ tutor there. Did you ever DJ on those dual CD decks that had the, like the pitch buttons, and you like pressed it to go forward, and you pressed minus to go back a little bit? No. You never oh. see those, you know, if you're Dual CD decks. Yeah, so like they came like they were almost rack mounted. Oh, the denim ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 loads, yeah. Pitch yeah. yeah, yeah I was on them for ages, yeah. The denims, they were they were good quality. And like I don't think they I think if you found a pair of them today, they'd still work. They were just like they were like technics like a workhorse. They never broke, I don't think. But I always remember people like barging into the DJ booth and the CD skipping and the music could like yeah. move a little bit. So what was your first 
what was your first gig? So you're doing the discos. What mm. was your first gig in a like a, a pub or a club or a bar? Well, after that, I ended up DJing this rave. Okay, so did, the guy, did the, the guy, one? yeah, the school one. So the guy that was doing it at the time. Obviously, I think as he left school, because he was a couple of years older than me at school. Okay. So maybe for my last two years at school, I started doing this rave, and it was like it was ma- it was magical. It was mint. It was it was, it was a rave. You still at it wasn't school. At school disco. It was a full on rave. But you, you were know? still at school while you were yes. doing it. That's yeah. genius. That yeah yeah. So I'm doing this rave there, and then after that, my first gig in York was at a bar called Edwards, but they had to fire me. Because I was 17, so they found out I was getting pissed. So how did you get that first gig? Like, Because I think this is important for people who are trying to get gigs. I know it's a friend time, of but... mine from college in York worked there. It's always who you know. Yeah. So you always got to have a network. You can never just kind of cold go into a gig. You've always got to have some, a man on the inside. That's my advice, I think. And there was, um, that's not advice, it's just a kind of more of a fact, I guess. That yeah. That's something we all learn in life. And a friend of mine was working behind the bar, mentioned to the bar manager my friend's a dj yeah. now today that's very common to hear <laughs> like everyone's a dj yeah back then that wasn't common to hear and he bigged me up he's doing because these the barriers parties to and entry, stuff as we just discussed the barriers to entry were much higher and yeah. much more expensive yeah, yeah. you're talking two and a half grand before you've even got yourself yeah out of the door and when you when you're young and like two and a half it's a lot of money man yeah it's a lot of money because you couldn't it's now common as well it's common that if you want to so for example you can practice djing on a laptop you could have a controller and practice at home but if you didn't have 1210s at home or you didn't have vinyl you couldn't practice, you couldn't could practice. No. like you couldn't even learn to be a dj unless you i'm loving this interview by the way <laughs> actually forget the difference between then yeah. and now yeah and it's it's nice to yeah, it's nice to it's massive but it's so the barrier century so ultimately someone mentioned that you're a dj like you said it's not as common and then did they kind of go... It's not, it wasn't common, it was rare. It was rare. It was very rare. To be a DJ back then was, it was quite rare. So did they get you in like on a Wednesday or Thursday? Did they drop you straight on a Saturday? Did they I pay think you? I did a test night from, yeah, I did like a test night on a Thursday. Yeah. And they liked what I was playing. And then didn't, they had an opening coming up on a Friday. So then I got that. And I'm sure it was about 100 quid a night on a Friday So you still, have you left school now? Or are you 17? So no, I'm you, at college. You're at college, college, yeah. Are you still working in like the, the hotel? Are you still kind of mm, on waiting room? No, no, not then, no, no. I can't remember to be honest. So did you? And then did you trans? Did you so. kind of get a in inverted commas real job as our parents might like to call it, or did you go straight into DJing full time? DJing's been my income. So as soon as I left education, so I did. I did a two years college in York. Yeah. And DJing was part funding me on a weekend doing discos yeah. and then doing waiting. Then when I left York College, like most of my friends went to uni, I decided not to Leeds College of Music had just opened up then. Okay. So I went to Leeds College of Music and did a music technology course. How long was that for? Two years. Cool. What sort of stuff did you learn on that? Not as much as I should have done, because back then, um, music being a music producer wasn't a cool thing back then. It was quite a geeky, sad thing to do. Like you were the you does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't cool. It was cool to be a DJ. And when you're young, you're a bit naive. Like you obviously want to be, you want to be cool when you're young. You want to be. But I'm know. not even sure if it was that cool to be a DJ. Like maybe we lived in different circles. It, when I was that, we're, we're similar ages. If anyone doesn't know, for when I was young, it was cool to be in a band. 
It was cool to have long hair. It was cool to have big, like, yeah, no, no, Gallagher like, type so, style yeah. long hair. And it was cool to be in a band. All my mates wanted to be a guitarist, a singer. They all wanted to wear big, long It's masks. making sense what you're saying, because probably 70% of the lads on the course, it was a very male-dominated course. Yeah. There weren't many girls on it. And um, they were all, as you say, Oasis boys. Yeah. Like, with the flare jeans yeah. and uh, the mullets and stuff. And there was me and a guy called Alex K, who DJed for Insomniacs at the time, on the course. Insomniacs was kind of a hard dance brand. Hard, yeah, yeah. hard house. Yeah, it was the gate crasher after the party. party. Yeah, and yeah, so there were there was maybe five DJs on this course or five people interested in making dance music. The rest were bands. Because I know people. I don't know if this is what your experience in Leeds. I know people that did those courses. So Maitland, for example, he did a music technology course in Newcastle. They didn't teach him what he wanted to know. They were no. teaching him how to record live instruments. They were teaching yes, him Yes, it was to, It was like that. We did learn. bits on Cubase, but it right. wasn't a dance music production yeah, course. It was music. Drum machines, sequences. Yes. Like. No, there, were, there, were, there were tiny elements of that, um, but it was very much like we got an intro to Cubase and stuff, um, and it was, was more recording live sound. Did you move to Leeds? No, I just got the bus from Tadcaster. So then were you, still, so were you still DJing while you were doing this music production course? Yes, I started promoting my own club nights at this point. So Let's, let's talk about that, because this is one of the things that like <clears throat> I say all the time. People that ask. affected my education, yeah. because I was turning late, you know, <laughs> late nights, early mornings. It's, 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 still affect, it's still affecting my life now. Well, yeah. uh, but, like, no, but I talk about this, so loads of people say to me, how, how do you get gigs? Like, well, the best way to get gigs is to have gigs, right? So mm-hmm. even if even if you go and play somewhere for free, at least you're somewhere, at least you're playing, at least you're showing your face, people are hearing you, people are seeing you. Yeah. But the next bit of advice would always be, and I did it when I was 17, start your own night. If you want a gig, start your own night. Yeah, because you start your own following, your yeah. own brand, your own kind of cult following and stuff. And So talk to us about that first night. Like, what was it called? Where did you start it? So I, me and my friends at this time, while I'm at Leeds College of Music, I get to know Alex K. He's playing for Insomniacs, which was a massive yeah. dance night at the time. Gatecrasher, God's Kitchen, Sunday Central, Insomniacs Day were like the forefront of, I don't know if the UK, but 100% of the North. Yeah. That was like, they were like the epitome, like, you know, like Elro is now. Yeah. That was them back then. And um, th- so I was into trance, techie, kind of trancey techno, hard house, just hard dance music at yeah. the time. And trance. And um, we used to go to Sunday Central, me and my friends. We used to go to God's Kitchen. We used to travel there a lot. And there was nothing like this in York. So I'm going to these clubs. We even went to the West Arena in Newcastle. Yeah. Don't know if you I were there. I remember it. I God's remember Kitchen. It. I used yeah. to promote these events in York for God's Kitchen. Um, <laughs> like going around with posters so everywhere. Get a bus on and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Putting posters everywhere. But yeah. I used to put coaches on up there. I used to put coaches onto tall trees. Did you not just post about it on Facebook? One more. <laughs> <laughs> My mum, <laughs> love you mum, my mum used to come out at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning because I didn't drive and we'd go around York City Centre. I had this plan, right? So in the back seat, I've got a bucket of paste yeah. and a paintbrush. Yeah. I'm dressed in black. Yeah. My mum's like, where shall I pull over? Paul, if I get arrested for this. And when I'd literally run out like a ninja at a red light. Yeah. I'd be out in the back door, poster, cable tie, no, pasting a wallpaper, pasting oh, them, onto, onto the, slapping it onto an electrical board at like um right okay a traffic junction. Yeah, running back in the car, and then we'd go, and we'd used to go through like hundred God's Kitchen posters on the Monday morning. My boss at God's Kitchen would then like call me up. He's like, Get a phone call from mate. The he's like, <laughs> but I knew he was going to do this anyway. 
He's like, mate, fucking well done. And I'm like, I'm like, what's 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 wrong? He's like, we've had a call off York Council, mate. They've gone mental with us for like doing this. And I'm like, oh, I've done it wrong. He's like, no, you've done it really well, well done, mate. And it was just that was the only way to promote back then. I have, I have the same memory of me and my pal. We used to sit in my backyard and we used to get the, the we used to go to bean and buy the chipboard. We used to cut it out into the size yep, of like, yep, 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 we used yep. to cut it out into the size of A3 posters. We used to paste the A3 posters drill on it, holes. drill two holes in it, cable tie, and we used to buzz around Carlisle and his golf Mark One, and like yeah, he'd pull over, I'd run up to the traffic side, cable tie it on, one on each, back in the car, and off you go. Yeah, what? 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 <laughs> what a time of your life? Yeah, but it was effort. You were putting all this effort in for something yeah. you really believed in. Yeah, and. Uh, that that felt so much more satisfying than sticking an event on Facebook now. So you're promoting for um, God's Kitchen, yes. But then you start your own night, yes, in York. And look what's... how well God's Kitchen have done nowadays with um, Fergie still doing it. Yes, in Vegas. Mr. So Moffitt. what's your night called? Uh, my night's called Turbulence. So I obviously go to these nights. There's thousands sometimes, or when you do a God's Kitchen Leeds Town Hall event or Telewest Arena Newcastle event. Tens What's that now? The Telewest Arena. Fifteen thousand. What's it called now? Oh, they've just they've just changed it because it was Metro Radio Arena. They've just changed it. Right. So back then, yeah, so the Tele-West. Metro Radio Arena used to be the yeah. Telewest Arena. If anyone's listening that can't relate to that, massive place, fifteen thousand people. Yeah. God's Kitchen would have the big big trance and hard house lineups there. Jules was always on the lineups. Hardly well. It was amazing. Yeah. God. God of a time. Yeah. And hello, Poppet. Cats back in. So I'm seeing all these people, I'm thinking, why the fuck is there nothing like this in York? And I'm going out to clubs, and there's a, sl- there's a slightly edgy... <laughs> there's a slightly edgy night on a Friday, which is live on the radio in York. So they're actually breaking some promos, the DJ's there. They were really good. That was at the gallery. Yeah. It was live on Viking FM. It's called yeah. Chris Hopkins. Yeah. And they were pushing a lot of new music, but then there'll be loads of commercial music as well. So I'm like... I, need, I, want, I want something more than this. So I decided to hire out Icon in York, which was the biggest club at it was the time. It out of town, wasn't it? Yeah, it's out of town. Yeah. Every, every, back then, everywhere had a, a nightclub on a retail park, yeah. but it was incredible. The, the sound the and the lighting yeah. was yeah. first class. The sound system was amazing. The lights were good. Big stealth green laser. Yeah. Absolutely just like, wow. So for my first night there, I booked Lisa Lashes to headline it. It was... Um, February 2003. How much was Lisa Lashes? Uh, I think we paid 1,500 quid for her back then. Um, and that's also, like, just a, a, like a really brief interruption. That's also, because we were doing it... I didn't have this money. I was borrowing this money oh, from yeah. my parents. But, but was... I'm going to make a different point. So, like, we were doing this at the time. We were booking... We did something in Carlisle. We were booking Danny Ramplin. We were booking, like, Seb Fontaine. We were booking those kind of things. But just, just for people who are listening who, who, who maybe don't get the other side of the industry, what's also changed is... Lisa Lashes was £1,500, right? And she was the equivalent of booking, who would you say nowadays? Well, Back then, for, for example, someone like maybe the Disciples, yeah. right? And people who don't know, Disciples go out for about £10,000. Mm-hmm. So not only has the, the barrier to, of entry to being a DJ completely changed, the barrier of entry to being a promoter has completely changed. You know, we're probably similar ages, putting on nights, paying DJs less than £2,000. It's yeah. doable. Yeah. Like, it's not doable for an 18-year-old to book... Someone who's ten grand. MK goes out for anywhere between. 50 or if you look and at the guys K. in the top ten, DJ Mag, which fifty grand, yeah, yeah, fifty to hundred grand plus. Yeah, um, it's it's absolutely insane. DJs are rock stars. They're like super famous. So you fifteen hundred. So I mean, let's, we're not going to go like super deep on the maths, but fifteen hundred quid for the DJ is obviously more costs. How much are you selling tickets for? Uh, we were selling tickets for I think seven or eight quid, and the club closes at two or half past two as well. And how many people did you get in for that first night? We sold it out. I think we did. Um, 
I think the main room, the whole club held 2,000. Yeah. We, the main room was stacked, like, like busiest night they'd ever done. And they'd, I know they did a record on the bar as well that night. Because a, a lot of the DJs there at the time were like, you know, you're not, not going to work, all this hard house ain't going to work. <laughs> and obviously, you, hey, I'm a young lad. It, 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 kind of, it kind of got to you a bit when people were being really negative against you. Yeah. It was like I was moving in on their patch. Yeah. And they got funny with me, did some of the DJs at the time there. But then a week later when I see them, they're all shaking my hand and going, oh, yeah, mate, well done. The bar spend was through the roof and all that. And I've never heard this word bar, bar spend, spend before. Spend per head. You know, spend per head and all this stuff. And it's all it's all new to me. And I'm like, I'm like, all these people patting me on the back. So we then planned another event that was good, not as good. But I had Anne Savage and Eddie Halliwell for that one. Okay. Um, and... It was still a very good event. I've got an invoice for somewhere for ready for like 500 quid from Tidy. It was Tidy Tracks Management for time. mad, 500 yeah. quid. But at his peak again, he'll have been flying out for 10 grand a gig, and rightfully so, because he, yeah. was, he was just incredible. So how long did Turbulence last for? Uh, probably two years. We weren't monthly. We were just kind of sporadic. If I, if I saw a time in the year, I thought, right, there's a bank holiday there. There's an the only day you could hire a club in York as well, don't forget, is, is a Wednesday night. So it's not like I had the beauty of a weekend. Right. I couldn't so approach... That was a Wednesday? On a Wednesday night, yeah. Wow. So you, you, in York, obviously, beer culture in York's massive. Yeah. No business is going to say to me or you, any promoter, yes, you can have our Saturday night. Why? Because they're packed. This is pre-recession. And also... And also I There's remember, no such thing as a quiet Saturday. Yeah, and also I remember when we were doing a lot of my nights when me and my, my best mate were like 18. The only clubs you could get were clubs no one wanted to go to. So yeah, we were, were, you, were you doing your nights on a Saturday or were they... So we, 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 we started off in a really, really small little like cafe bar. I remember we, we, we literally sellotaped bin bags to the windows because it was a summer to make it darker. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we kind of did all this stuff. Like I, we, I designed a flyer on like Microsoft Word <laughs> and I spelt the name of the bar wrong. Like it was called Mercury Lounge and I spelt it like Mookery Lounge. We'd had like a hundred flyers printed. Then you hear words like proofreading. <laughs> My mate went mental with me because I had to spend more money on more flyers. But like, but then when we, so we, I think we did that on a Thursday, but then there was a club in town at the time, Legends, that was just on its, on its ass. So they were like, you can have it on a Saturday, but no one wanted to go. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one wanted to go. So then you had to put extra sound in. You had to put, like, you know, the equipment in. And like, yeah, yeah. But I do think, like, and it's it, there's a lot, you know, we run the risk of just sounding like um, dance, experienced dance music entrepreneurs. But there's less nightclubs now as well. That's that's yeah. also a problem, I think, for young kids who are trying to start. So back in York then, there was one, two, three, four... You can maybe argue five and six. There's, like, there's this... this Two nightclubs in York now. Yeah. One sec, one sec, two, three, no, it's three, three, four in York. There were six, now there's four. Yeah. And they're not all doing, they all used to be open seven nights a week. Yeah. Nightclubs were open seven nights a week back then. And they used to open at 9 pm, by the way, kids. <laughs> they used to open at nine. Yeah, nine and o'clock. Be, and all clubs were shut at 11. Yeah. So the club was rammed by half 10, 11. Yeah. Because everyone had to leave there. If you want to keep drinking, you have to leave the pub early to get into the club. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's just, there's a lot less. So there's clubs to get in, which is, which is interesting. It's kind of a converse thing. Weirdly, it's easier to become a DJ because the barrier to entry is a lot cheaper, but there's probably a lot less clubs, thus less gigs, thus lost opportunities for DJs. So it's a weird, it's actually a weird balancing act the way that it's gone. It's yes. easier to be a DJ, but there's probably less gigs available to you. Uh, right, so you've been doing Turbulence. You finish 
I take it that runs a similar sort of two years that the, the music cost. I think we, we lost money on one of them. There was me and a other guy who was kind of financially involved with me. And obviously, when you're losing money, you have a bit of a scuffle and a fallout or something. You've not such. been a good promoter if you haven't lost money. If you haven't had yeah. to go to a cash point at three in the morning to pay your DJ. Exactly. <laughs> you haven't done it but right. It was, it was incredible. I learned so much. It's the first time yeah. I ever picked a microphone up in a nightclub in front of people because yeah. I had to introduce. In fact, let me just backtrack a bit. The first night was a massive learning curve. Was so we sold out. You know, the week a week prior to it, Lisa Lashes cancelled due to inverted commas family commitments or family problems or something. Right. So I'm not experienced. You, you had to bump it a week. Yeah, so a week. No, no, a week. <laughs> my headline act cancelled, and she was the reason we were selling out. Yeah, you know, obviously the graft and everything that went into telling everyone she's there, but she was hot property at the time. Yeah, and we got Lisa pin up as a. Replacement. replacement last okay. minute she blew the roof off okay. so Lisa Lashes to Lisa Pinup well happy with that yeah um, but that was a bit of a bit of a learning curve venue got a bit funny with me I think at the time um, but yeah and the venue Hyphy as well then I was I was paying in excess of two and a half thousand pounds to hire the venue out just night. to open it up a hundred percent a hundred percent be able to find those invoices somewhere yeah so that was that was Luminar at the time the manager was a guy called Jonathan Guest um, he's gone on to do very well since then. And I still speak to Jonathan quite a lot. I've got a lot of respect for him. He's a very good businessman. Um, I think he works for Stonegate now. And Luminar, if doesn't really know, Luminar basically owned a huge, we're talking 2,000 cap venue, in pretty much every Correct, town yeah. and city. Yeah. In... You couldn't drive for 50 miles without bumping into one. Yeah. Across the country, yeah. They sort of became... Icons and liquids and stuff. Icons, liquids, yeah, yeah. Every city. And they're now sort of prisms, right? Yeah, yeah. I know there's there's a lot of business stuff going on behind. Yeah, so it's now it's now Deltic. Yeah, they own prisms, attics, like they've got attic and hull. That's a very nice club. That there's a really all of this story. So um, I kind of grew up in Carlisle, on thirty minutes away on the coast, um, the other way, like to the west coast. There's a couple of places called Working and Whitehaven. Um, This guy that um, I know through someone else. Uh, who was in Workington, basically his entire idea and business model was he was going to go to five or six of these Luminar clubs, he was going to go back to Workington and he was going to build one exactly like theirs and the whole point was to then sell it to them and he nailed it. Like he built this club called Fusion in Workington. Wow. Um, it was, and, it, and then he sold it to, to Luminar um, and it was like the same deal. Do you know what else I thought as well? Like just quickly come back on something. There's a big thing at the minute about... Like female DJs, isn't there? Like, it's a big. I think there's a big push at the minute. Or there's a big thing about inclusion in the industry and all this yeah. kind of stuff. But you brought up like a few names that I had like completely forgotten about. Lisa Pinup, Lisa Loud, I'm and Savage. Savage. Yeah. We had we booked Lisa Loud to come. I was booking DJ. more girls and guys to be fair at the time because they uh, so they like were that, they were called the Tidy Girls at yeah, the time, and they were. That we're now talking like fifteen odd years ago, maybe even twenty years ago. So there was, there was loads of female presence in that kind of like scene, especially especially I'm do the some hard Googling dance while you scene. keep talking. Yeah, but especially the hard dance scene. I don't quite remember as many female DJs representing that kind of more that more kind of you that more US house sound. But definitely in the UK, uh, I mean, I I haven't even heard like. And Savage's name for ages. I haven't heard Lisa Pinup's right. name for ages. So if we're on the DJ website, DJ Mag website, yeah. I can go back as it only goes back as far as 2004. 2004. Okay. My year I was doing this was 2003. So number one's Tiesto. Yeah. Number two's Paul Van Dyke. Number three's Armin Van Buren. Number four's Sasha. Christopher Lawrence. You see, that does that doesn't even mean anything to me. No. That doesn't mean anything to me. No. Because we grew up in different 
pockets of music, me and you, didn't we? Yeah. Judge Jules is number 40. I'm quite surprised I'm having to go this far to find a girl. <laughs> All right, okay, so Lady Dan is number 29. She doesn't mean anything to me. L- Lisa Lashes but is Lisa number 30, Lashes. so... Yeah. So, okay, let's just do it, like, just for a real quick comparison, right? So 29 is the highest female DJ in 2004. But you've got two female DJs under 30. So what? And what are we looking at now? Fast so, forward to the most recent okay, DJ. Okay, so if we go to 2018, 2018, how far do you have to go down to find a fee? Who do we think it's going to be, by the way? Do you know what? Heidi? No. No, not a chance, because it's oh, more oh, Nervo. Nervo, yeah. Okay. Liv and Mim. They've just had kids, actually, Liv and Mim. So, but that's one. That's one. That's one, and we've had to go to number 27. 27. Okay, so still similar, but we're only gone one. And then... Sorry if I'm missing someone here. No. But we're now down at... Miss... I don't even know who she is. I don't know who she is. Miss K8. Matten. I don't know who that is. But it's, it's more... Into, DJ Mag, I think, was a very UK thing back then. Whereas it's more... It's like, much more yeah. international and who and spent the and most money on advertising with them. dominated by UDM, I guess, in some respects. Yeah, sure. I think if you went Nina to... Nina Kravitz. So Nina Kravitz would be a lot higher. If you went to, um, if you went to Resident Advisor, for example... I think you'd probably find yeah. Heidi, Honey Dijon, Maya Jane Coles, you know, Nina Kravitz. You'd find that in that cooler house. How's Andy C number 90? Sign. That's disgrace. <laughs> God, you should be way up there. But yeah, so, so, so coming back to that, so then you've been doing turbulence. You've lost maybe a little bit of money. Won't touch on that too much. What's the next step then? So you finish college. What do you even think you're going to do? I mean, so, at, at this point, do you think, at this point, are you going, that's this, how I earn my money. I'm going to be a DJ, nightclub, entrepreneur. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm already DJing at this time in a, in a club in York. I've, got, I've been given an offer, opportunity to do a Tuesday student night. Yeah. So we've taken that from nothing to something very much above average. Yeah. And it's doing good money. Yeah. So they're very happy with me the there. No, it was a, a place called Nexus. Okay. So it's a rival to, rival to the, the gallery. Yeah. Um, the gallery is obviously the main club in York then. Then they see how well I'm doing that night. I'm doing like some stage games and stuff with people yeah. on a Tuesday night. Are you, you're kind of promoting it as well, aren't you? You're not just turning from playing. Yeah, we're going out flyering. Kind of we're going out flyering. Yeah. Yeah. Going out flyering, promoting the night. I'm not taking a cut on the door. I'm getting a DJ wage. Yeah. But then they offer me another night as a result of this. Yeah. So I'm like, wow. You know, I'm earning maybe... Two hundred pounds a week doing, but I haven't. I'm not even. I haven't even got to the weekend here yet. Yeah. So I'm doing a Tuesday, and I think they gave me a Sunday as well. And then, then, it, then I've started doing a Monday for them. Yeah. So I'm probably nearly on three hundred quid a week here, and I haven't even. I'm not even working a weekend. So on a weekend, because my turbulence nights went well, the Good Grief guys got in touch, and to backtrack to anyone who doesn't know what Good Grief is, that was Mixmag Club of the Year yeah. at the time. So that's the equivalent of today's Elro in yeah. popularity. It was yeah. massive. Yeah. So I started doing guest sets for them on a weekend. But one gig, I turned up with a coach of 50 people. And I quite I did coaches. So especially when I was playing, yeah. I'd be able to make a few calls. And from the turbulence nights, I'd pack a coach or two coaches. Yeah, sell the tickets. So I'm, pl- coach. Yeah, I'm playing in Wakefield for the guys at the foundation in Wakefield. I think they've got John Kelly on as a headline act. Scouse. And at the end of the night, I've brought... A coach down. Did I bring one or two coaches? Minimum 50 people I've brought down with me. All paying 10 quid, 15 quid a head, whatever it was. And the promoter said, um, well, we can't pay you tonight. The headline act hasn't pulled. We haven't made any money. So I was like, you're not going to argue when you're young, are you? You're kind yeah, of just yeah. a bit, you know, a bit timid and a bit yeah. more. I think I'd have stood up for myself now. What I should have said was, what the fuck? Well, I've brought 50 people here. Yeah. And I'm apparently no one compared to John Kelly. Yeah. So... We also Why punish me 
for his for his failure and but your failure also, to maybe book the right DJ for the area. We also now know that probably that promoter was lying through his teeth and had some money and just probably didn't well, give you it. So <laughs> so that so basically like it was it was being messed around from some gigs. Yeah. And I was I was chasing that superstar DJ dream like Eddie Halliwell. I was yeah. warming up for him quite a lot. And I was chasing that dream. So it sometimes paid me and it sometimes didn't pay me. Yeah. So then the club in York offered me weekend work. Yeah. So they were offering me much more money yeah. for every Friday and every Saturday. But it was that was like selling out. That was like going commercial. Yeah. But then I looked at the money and I'm thinking, well, I've already got 300 quid midweek. And if you add that on top of what I'm earning on a weekend, I've still got two nights off to do whatever I want. Yeah. I'm earning good money here. So I took the weekends on. Of course. And occasionally I'd go off and do like an artist gig, like yeah. a PBH gig. A booking, yeah. A booking. But then my residencies were, they were paying me great money at the time. And I kind of just, for a period, I gave up chasing that dream of being a superstar DJ. And a, you know, we, the, we, the pro- producing wasn't even there yet. But this happens though. Like, I mean, we know people like, we know, we know, you know, we can talk about Crider, we can talk about DOD, even like my experience with Patrick Topping. A lot of these guys, like, they, they do, they earn money. Like, they don't just become, you know, this superstar DJ overnight. Yes. They're playing in Revolution on a Thursday to fund them being able to sit in the studio yes. on a Monday so they don't have to go to a, a job in an office. There's, there's a lot of... I definitely give it advice, and I even said it to a friend of mine the other day. I sent him a DM. I said, he um, he plays in, like, players' bars and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But he's a great producer. Yeah. And he keeps advertising on his artist page, I'm playing in players tonight. And I said to him, you can't do that. Yeah. You can DJ in any cheesy bar you want, for money to fund your production, your oh, studio, building your life. studio and chasing your dream. Yeah. But that cannot be any, anything to do with your artist name because yeah. promoters don't want to know that um, thing. Maybe, me and Jack have obviously discussed this at length a million times, you know, should we have gone down the name of PBH and Jack Shizzle? Because I've been known to doing some commercial clubs or yeah. should we not? But there's no right or wrong answer to that. I've obviously, since I've doing doing bleh, been doing BCM in Mallorca. We've kept that name there because yeah. it's been associated with lots of success out there. Well, Camel Fats are really, I think, a super interesting. Like, yes. So, so on that on that line of things, for some some people who, who might not know, Camel Fat are made up of Mike Scala, yeah, who used to be part of. Um, Ultra Beat. They he, used he to was, play in BCM, but they didn't play the main room. They used to play the party room downstairs. And so he was like, he was, you can literally Google um, Pretty Green Eyes, Top of the Pops, and Mike DeScarlet is singing Pretty Green Eyes in a green, I think, a wow. pink shirt. Find yeah. it, it's funny. But the point is, is they obviously then were known for like Wheeling and DeScarlet. They used to do like, um, they used to do like, um, they, used to just, they did Scouse House, they did even Wien Scala, they went on to do kind of like Swedish house remixes of stuff. Like, I, I've got some of them. But then obviously, the Camel Fat thing, they kind of like came up with a new name, came up with a new brand. Even at first, if people don't remember, you didn't see their faces, they had those like Mexican wrestling masks. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think it's just it's interesting because a lot of people don't always know that, you know, so potentially the point I'm making is even Camel Branding's Fat... Branding's very important. And, but also, well, yeah, massively, but even also Camel Fat are potentially funding this new brand by still being... Wheeler and Discala, making Ultra slightly Beat. more commercial stuff than they don't want to make, but they're funding the new project, which, yeah, yeah and of I, course. Because I think what a lot of people don't realise is they just sort of see like a, 
Patrick Tapping or a crowd and they just go they just be, that's what they became they did nothing else no they became it's, it's, super built, cool it's built thing. up for years stuff like that brands yeah. like that are built up for years and it's 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 a business move as well as yeah. you know a, 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 how do you say it a music a music emotional move yeah. but it's also a business move as well um, it, uh, it's definitely something I see a lot of young DJs doing is like as soon as they make a track god there's so many producers out there on my Facebook you know, I'm at the Max Friends on Facebook and they're all DJs. Yeah, of course. And they're all sending you music all the time and it's it's actually impossible to keep up to date with every promo I get nowadays. I'm sure you're the same. It's just yeah. like, there's just too much music to well, it's, And it's also to. branding. I mean, again, we, we then move like from a camel fat brand to someone else who I think is like super interesting at the minute is Fisher. So Paul Fisher was a professional surfer. He was on the professional surf tour Mm-hmm. He went all around Australia, around the world, surfing. He basically, and you know, most people know this anyway, is phenomenal on social media. He's great on his great content. He's crazy. He produces great content. He was, so he was a professional surfer. And his bird's bang tidy. And <laughs> <laughs> he's always filming. With, with another guy, I forget his name, they started to DJ the after parties of the surf events, right? Yeah. Um, and then as far as I'm aware, and you know, email me, contact me if, if I think I've got this wrong, but as far as I'm aware, he sort of hooked up with someone else. Lake, who then started to make his records for him, but because he already had a massive brand, he was already a huge, you know, million followers on Instagram. He was already. I didn't know this. You see, I didn't know. Yeah, so basically, he was already a brand. Like in a a way, surfer name already Fisher. Well, he was Paul Fisher. He was known as Ah, Paul Fisher. So they dropped the first name. But my point being is that if, for example, um, me, you, or Dave from down the road um, made losing it. Yeah, probably wouldn't have been signed to Dirty Bird. Probably wouldn't have been a worldwide global hit. There's yeah, it's a good record, but it's the brand that's behind it. It's yeah, the sure. image. It's the face. It's the name. It's the you know the media content, the followers, and that's not. There's nothing disrespectful about that at all. It's just you know this is like a, a podcast about the the back end of the industry and the stuff that maybe you don't see. And I think it's you know it's super interesting that that's again. So he's come from already being famous and having followers. And has transported that into dance music. Someone probably like Idris Elba. You know what I mean? Idris, I think, gets 10 grand a gig now. You know, could be the next Bond. Um, but yeah, he Idris, Idris is going to sell tickets. And, you know, if you're a festival booker, there's, there's some people that will be like, I can't believe the booking Idris Elba. He's not a DJ. And it's like, well, it's a festival is a business. And, and a festival's tickets. business. And after seeing Idris Elba play... He's great. He, he plays good house music. Oh yeah, he plays great house music, and he's uh, he's he's a cool motherfucker. Yeah, he's like he's he's <laughs> Luther. He's he's well, not only Luther, but he's in the Marvel films as well, isn't he? He's, you know, he's a the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper of yeah. Asgard. Yeah, in he is in he is crazy, crazy cool. Anyway, it's not about Idris; it's about you. So yeah. we've been. We've Can been we pause these? this and get another brew? Uh, will you go and? Yeah, all right. Right, we're Stop gonna have recording. A brew. Give us two seconds. We're gonna have a brew. Do you want to no, I'm good, mate. Right, we're back with tea in hand, uh, ready to ready to roll. Now I'm going to move on to. So we've been DJing, we've been club nights. Let's touch a little bit on production because that's a minefield as well. I feel like it's a minefield to even get started because someone's telling you to use Logic, someone's telling you to use Ableton, someone's telling you to use Fruity Loops. Mm-hmm. Where just talk us through how you kind of got started, what you first started to use, what you were starting to make. Back, just to go back to yeah. music college, I did music technology. Yeah. And at the time, if it was, I would imagine now if I was doing a music technology course right now, I'd have my head in Logic, Ableton, and I'd be producing beats, like yeah. dance music. Yeah. 
Um, but back then it was like obviously very band orientated. That was like, you know, you kind of refresh my brain with the yep. indie haircuts and stuff. Um, well, as far as dolls go, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for what you use. I would personally say Ableton's better because logic is only a Mac based thing. Yeah. Not everybody works on a Mac. Yeah. Ableton, um, Obviously, I work with Jack for all the production side of things. Jack's, you know, the main, um, Jack's our main kind of guy. And with... How did you meet Jack? Let's just... let's just. We were DJing together, um, student nights. That's quite a big question, this, I guess. <laughs> well, I met Jack. We're DJing um, a club in Sheffield. I was doing the main room on a Wednesday and I think Jack was doing it on a Saturday so we knew each other obviously you get to know DJs are yeah, working in the same club yeah. and I think we started talking on Facebook um, and then like you know it was like a like a dating thing like what are you into mate it was like oh I like camping I was like yeah we like camping too me and my mates <laughs> and like actually we're going away camping next weekend why don't you come or you know um, and he came on a camping trip with us randomly and we just got talking there we had beers we had a talk I think that was before I went away to Mallorca one summer. So we just started talking. And um, I'd be in BCM on a night hearing like all these epic sets. Like, I think Axwell seems to have a lot of good mashups in his set. So I'd, I'd be on WhatsApp. Jack, he had this track with like, you know, he'd use, he'd use this acapella to pad the breakdown out and it just worked, it worked really well. Proper went off. What do you think? And I'd never get a reply, but I'd get a Dropbox link. So I'd wake up in the morning and there'd be a mashup in my inbox and he'd be like, we'd done our own version of it. And I was like, all right, cool. That, yeah, that, then I'd play it the night next night and I'm like, oh, this works. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I'm a DJ sets are getting much better, not more exclusive because we're like making our own edits and mashups and stuff. And yeah. um, literally every morning there'd be a fresh one in the inbox. I'd send him some ideas and stuff on WhatsApp and just, there we go. Did Jack come from a more production background? Yeah, yeah, he'd been producing for a long time. Right. I think he's been producing for nearly 15 years now or something. Right, okay. Um, Yeah, so my advice to young DJs wanting to start, because it is like to get to the level you need to be at, if you want to do everything in-house, like, you you know, you're mixing, you're mastering, your production, is work with someone else that you obviously, you know, I'm... Mark Knight gave me, a, me and Ryan, the other DJ resident from BCM, we were chatting to him about production, and the one thing he said was, if you're building a house, you won't build it on your own. Yeah. You're getting a plumber to do the plumbing because that's his specialist area. Yeah. You're getting a, a bricky to do the bricklaying, yeah. and you get an electrician to do the electrics. Yeah. It's exactly the same for music production. If you're good on keyboard, there'll be times me and Jack will get someone else in, you know, to... Play, play other parts and stuff because we, we can't get our head round stuff. Yeah. So it's it's a team effort for me is uh, music production. It's yeah. a it's got to be fun. It's never work. It's fun. Yeah. It's um you know you and your mate, you and two mates, you and three mates in a room talking ideas, all coming together. Yeah. And just jamming, just getting creative. Whereas if you just sat on your own thinking about stuff, and you'll be a DJ like my friend Kano. He's um he's been telling me he's super talented DJ. He's wanting to get into production for years, and he's like, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking, and he's always been that guy that's you know, I think it's held him back because he he's scared of delving into something new because it's such a hard thing to learn. Yeah, you're not going to be 12 months down the line laying out killer beats, are you? No, it just doesn't. You know, maybe maybe the one 
But you make a really good Wonder point. Kid. I think a lot of people don't realise, I think a lot of people think that, you know, Mark Knight, for example, is obviously a great example, that Mark Knight just literally opens his computer up, sat on his own, creates the entire record, mixes it, masters it, bounces it, and send it off, sends it off. And that's to his just, own record label. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, but that's just not, not the case. No, of all. course not, no. Um, it's like, I think you should look at music production like a complex career like being a doctor or a brain surgeon you haven't got that job and that level of skill without going through years and years and years of training yeah so if you all of a sudden work with a brain surgeon by their side yeah you know you know what you're doing but you just you've got an idea of what you're doing yeah obviously you need to work with an expert so that's obviously why me and jack seem to work well um, but talk us through, like, you know, you're obviously doing really well with, like, um, you know, Hexagon and all that kind of stuff. So for people that don't really, and we've had this conversation before years ago, for people who, who, who aren't, you know, getting to that level or want to get to that level, how does it work? Like, so how do you, you so that's just, you've written your record, right? But then what do you do? I can't play you any exclusives on this. No, no, no. We, well, don't, we don't do music. No, no. no but, we'll like, but I just mean, like, from, but like, what do you do? So you sat in your room, you and Jack or whatever, or whoever, got your record. How do you get it signed? Well, it's always down to it's always down to having a connection. You see, you, I I could if I'm if I'm Felix Leiter, I'm a new producer. I don't have any contacts at Hexagon. Yeah, I really, I really, if if, if Hexagon is like a label you personally believe in, they're a fantastic label. Don Diablo's doing really big things right now. They're hosting some of the you know big stages at some of the festivals. He's got his own stage at Tomorrowland this year. He's really making some moves in the dance world. And you really want a track of Hexagon. So you go on the SoundCloud, more often than not, there's a demo submission email address. Yeah. That demo submission email address is going to get hundreds and hundreds of applicants every day. Yeah. So you're basically, you're talking potluck. Or you've got to think outside the networking bubble. You've got to go to maybe one of the shows and be a bit stalkerish. Be like, a, right, you DM the page. If they haven't replied to you with a different email address... You've still got the generic one. Yeah. Is it worth sending to that pool? Excuse me, bit of windy pops there. Um, or do you try and go to one of the Don Diablo shows, try and wait outside and or try and get a job with them or try and hit them on Instagram or Twitter? Or yeah. I think you need that personal connection. Yeah. It's not to say cold hitting up like Dirty Bird or Defected or Hexagon with a demo you're not going to get a reply and you're going to get bounced back because they do listen to loads of submissions all the time, but a lot of the time they don't have time to reply to all of them. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that well, I've, I've worked with a lot of big artists in the summers and stuff, so our little black book of contacts is yeah. quite invaluable. You know, I can, Don will reply to me on an email sometimes within a couple of hours and it always still melts my head. Like if I if I've sent him a demo, two hours later, boom, he's he's replied and he's on tour. It's just yeah. like, how am I important? You know, it's it's crazy. But he's he's a very down to earth guy. Phenomenal work ethic. Dan it's Diablo. crazy, it's crazy. That's why he's doing so well. Yeah, and he still keeps it personal. You know, it's he's 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 a, he's a genuinely nice guy. There's some people out there. I think uh, in it for themselves. Don is absolutely. It sounds so cliche. <laughs> doing it for the love of music and yeah. just like, you know, what the fans and just bringing, bringing joy to people, which is why we play music and why we make music. And what, so what would connection. you, for anyone who hasn't listened to one of your records, go and check it out, obviously, PBH and Jack Trissel, but what would you say your sound is kind of currently? What are you trying to make? What are you making? Currently, well, there was somewhere between 
house, future house, maybe with a sprinkle of bass house, maybe sometimes there's a little sprinkle of some trancey elements in some of our tracks. Yeah. Um, I'd say very like, you could play one of our tracks in a in a UK set. Maybe it might be towards the end of a UK house set because it's just got a little bit more meat on the drop yeah. than like a, a defected or a dirty bird track was. It's still house music. It's just got a little bit more meat in it, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes um, we've just done a we're working on an EP for Hexagon at the minute. Um, whether whether uh, he's he's already okayed one of the tracks has done. The second one we're going to be working on day one today Tuesday on Thursday. Um, hopefully that'll be a bit more. Trip, I don't know what the word is. Trippy melodic future house. Trippy One. melodic future house. <laughs> yeah. The um the other ones is like a. Remember our track "Bring the House." Yeah. It's like "Bring the House" version two. Okay. With just a little bit more. It's been to the gym a bit more. It hits a bit. Hits a bit harder. Still house music, but it just really. And I guess that's really my next bands. question. Really, like, where do you see like double double edged question? Where do you see your sound going, and where are you seeing? Like, where are you seeing, you know, the industry going? Like, what are you noticing? You know, what will you be playing more of in, in BCM this summer than you were playing last year? What what are you, you know, what are you playing more of through the week at your all your gigs? Like, what are you noticing? Like, what's changing? What's Where's it going? I think there's a massive divide between the commercial world and the credible world at the minute. If you're in a mainstream club, I think to get reactions out of people. There hasn't, let's be honest, there hasn't been any dance music in the UK that's connected for a few years now. I yeah. mean, what's the biggest track you're getting a reaction to on a Saturday in digital? You're in digital on a Saturday night. What's the biggest track you're getting that people are demanding and you're getting a reaction out of? I don't know. It's, it's really difficult because, I mean, we've had this conversation before. Even sort of what I would say was the biggest, one of the biggest dance records of recent times, which would be like Camel Fat Cola. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't really... You know, boot off in a nightclub. No, it doesn't. No, um, people might get excited when they hear that kind of the little, you know, sort of melody in the bass drop right at the start of it. But I almost feel people get kind of bored of it, like after a little bit. Yeah. So you you, you were a bit you were like if I well if I play Cola say and I was playing the original, I'd be watching the dance floor quite carefully. Yeah. Not in an underground sense, in a mainstream sense, to see if that the you know the people are going. To, the crowd's going to engage it. If not, I'm going to have to pull something else I think, out. I think what works for me is is stuff that people know, you know, whether it be vocals or riffs that people know, but with cooler, undergroundy style beats. Um, yeah, that's how we try and do a lot of our mashups. Like, you know, we, we try and we pick a drop we like yeah. that we think's right. It's probably a bit too cool to work on its own this track, but generally find ones without vocals in. Yeah, sometimes it's a lot of hell deep stuff. Yeah. Um, and then pad it out with a vocal, so it's going to work in a commercial club. Yeah. Um, if not, if it's if if you feel you can go without the vocal, you've already got that in the folder anyway. But if you need a you need a mashup version, then yeah, I think just to go back to your question, where, where clubs are at now and stuff, it's it's as a result of the supply and demand situation. Back in the days of vinyl, you music. I've got a, I've got a white label promo. White label to anyone listening that doesn't know is. A limited edition yeah. record printed pre-release maybe. pre-release yeah. it's not signed to a label it's a record someone's made but they've decided to give it to a record shop yeah and they're selling them for 15 pounds for a single <laughs> yeah. so you come to my club on a friday night i'm playing that and you, you you're just like fucking hell this track it's 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 amazing it's in your brain yeah you you want it's your drug you need your fix of that so you've gone away from the club 
You probably haven't even dared ask the DJ what it was called. There's no Shazam. No Shazam. Yeah. There's no way to find the DJ on social media because there's no social media. So the only way to get the fix, to hear that track again, that bass line, that rolling bass line coming in and kicking on the drop, is by going out the next That's weekend the to a game. club. Yeah. And the same week after that, and the DJ plays another track, you think, what's this? It's amazing. So to get my fix of these tracks, yeah. I have to go out clubbing every week. Yeah. Now, there is none of that. Yeah. There is no, I need my fix, because if you want your fix, I'm just going to go, okay, Google, play Fisher Losing It on Spotify. I've yeah. picked a bad example there, because that's a very mainstream track now. But, you know, for, for for example, Shazam, you can come watch one of my sets or your sets. A DJ can go away, download over them, add them to your Spotify playlist, and they can be driving around all week in the car. They've heard those tracks you played in digital on a Saturday, on repeat, but I think you, in the but car. You, but you make a really interesting point, though, because, right, so yes, you're 100% right about that, right? You can go away, you can Shazam fish and losing it, you can download it, you can put, add it to your Spotify playlist, you can put it on your iPhone, whatever, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. no problem. But what you, so that, that, that in one sense makes clubbing a little bit, a little bit worse because it's, it's, it's so easy to, to access that music that you want to hear in a club. You it's, just like, it's like driving a new car. It's great. I've, I picked you up in my new car today, and I've still got the car buzz. Yeah. If I pick you up in 12 months, I'm not going to have the same but, buzz but, of that car. But you made the point, which is that then, to then stand out, to then now be different, you've now got to make your own edits, you've got to make your own mashups, you've got to make your own versions of things that no one else has. Yeah. So when you go to the club... Ah, I've got a good one for you here. Yeah. So well, I was DJing in Newcastle like you are. Uh, you were doing digital... And me and Jack were doing project on alternate That's weeks. Right, yeah. And I think I used to send you all our mashups quite yeah. often. Not not many people, but you were one of the yeah. guys I'd send mashups to. We used to keep them quite tight knit. One of the promoters actually came up to us and said, like, it was like, why are you guys giving your mashups out? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what? And he was like, he's like, I've gone to do they'd, they'd obviously like yeah. had a you know, as promoters will go down to look and see how the competition's doing. And I've been playing And you'd have played cards. a couple of our mashups <laughs> or something. And they were like, they're playing your, your things in digital. And we were like, fuck. Uh, and, but then we kind of noticed, we, we, we released a mashup pack and we'd, we'd get booked for gigs. And then the DJ before us is playing like three or four or five of our edits. And, I'm think, and we're like, are we turning up to this gig and giving away anything special, anything different to what the regular resident DJ does? And the answer to that was probably no, because they're playing a lot of that stuff. So as a result of that, we've stopped giving away mashups. Yeah. You can still have them, because we love you. <laughs> but on SoundCloud, to the mass world, yeah. you know, as a full free download of here's 15 mashups yeah. we've been playing, and they're killing it for us. But the reason you were doing that was to build profile. So yes, so it's, yes. So it is, but it, all, it, it builds profile, yeah. but where do these mashups actually get you going? Because they're not going to get your gigs... They're gonna help keep gigs. It's it's kind of a hard to answer question. Yeah. Don't don't not make things for your sets, but do you give them? You need to give them away to get likes on your page, to get followers, because it's all important and stuff. Yeah. But you've got to. The only thing for a DJ now, obviously looking for a break, that's gonna make them. It's not a mashup. Look, look there's a guy called Disco Sid from the UK. He yeah. is just on it all the time. Mashup, mashup, mashup. They're all great. They're all things. DJs can use in cool clubs, commercial clubs, like, you know, bars and stuff. He makes all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But it's not catapulting him to the next it's level. It's not going to break you as a DJ. Love you, Sid. Love yeah. you, Sid. It's like it's not going to take him on that tour of Asia or somewhere or, or the UK where you, where you are charging, like, you know, you're I earning think, a crazy living. And... I think there's a difference, though, between, like, between uh, a mashup 
so and again we're not, I'm not talking about Disco said here we just moved on but like there's a difference between putting an acapella over something and remaking something so for example like um, you know you go back to, to, to Eric Prids and obviously he remade Stevie Winwood Valerie Intercol on me and that was probably the record that broke him internationally obviously he plays a lot cooler stuff now yeah but that broke him even so Christoph um, he's from Newcastle I've known him for years he did a version of um, Sweet disposition um that he's been playing his sets and i hit him up for that the other day and he's like oh mate it's just been it's gonna get i think it's gonna get signed like i've been approached by um i think it was sony or something wow. so, so again like so it's, it's a really funny one so and i totally agree with you by putting an acapella over another record and sending it to the world you're not going to get a tour of asia but if you go into the studio and remake something and put your own spin on it yes correct. You know, what you did with um Aliyah, like you know um Ayla, is that how you say it? We could be half an hour on this one. Ayla, 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 Ayla. Mr. Jammer's on about but, that on radio. But, but, <laughs> but you remade it, and that that gets you gigs. Do you know yeah, what I mean? but we we to... remade that. There was you know it wasn't like we took you didn't sample we, it. You fully, no no it yeah. every, everything was like replayed completely from scratch. Yeah, there was no wasn't there's there's the track obviously sat in Ableton there. Yeah, and we're listening to it, but then we don't use any of that track. We completely yeah. remake that from from scratch. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point for people who are kind of like trying to work out you know, what we're saying, which is there's a good way of getting into to, to production and a good way of getting your name known is by making some edits and some mashups. Other mm-hmm. DJs start to know you. Even like, so what's is it, Alex? Um, who, Ross? Yeah, so Alex Ross made that thing. Was it the Wasteman record? The kind of like the, um, the, I mean, everyone was playing it like. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that did get him, yeah. yeah. And that helped, That's how I found out about Alex Yeah, Ross. and that helped him then move on. He obviously did a remake of like a Gabrielle record, Light of Dreams. Speak to it's quite a bit. He's a really yeah. talented producer. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that did well for him. So I think with the, what we're sort of saying is there are different steps here between there's a mashup, there's a remake, there's a reimagination. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and all of those things. I think are important. And then like you say, when you get to a bit of a better level, then you start to go, well, maybe I don't need to give away all those private edits anymore. Because, yes. Because now I want to keep them for myself. Of course, yeah. So that when I turn up for a show, I'm playing something different from the guy who's mm-hmm. here last week. Um, yeah, of course. But it is all part of, of, of like building that, of that brand really. So what's like, so we were saying before we were joking, like, so you're kind of, you know, you, you do international gigs, you get on planes, you've got big residencies, you support a lot of huge DJs in the summer. What's what's next for you? How do you guys keep going? How do you keep progressing? What's the plan? Uh, I wouldn't say there's a plan, plan, <laughs> but we 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 obviously we have to, we enjoy making the music we make. Um, we love touring together, me and Jack. I think when you've got a buddy with you, it's it just becomes a bit more fun. Um, I will be literally. I think we're on a we've got a long. We're in Poland this weekend, so we've got a long travel time. I'm into photography, so I'll just be literally ripping into Jack on my Instagram story all weekend, giving him a photo shoot and just practicing some Photoshop stuff on the Jack road. Jack on a plane is always yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> but um, which we are we are trying to make uh, a pop a pop dance track. I'm going to play something when we finish this actually. Yeah, which we're uh, we're working on at the minute. Um, we are Daytime we are radio. looking yeah, radio yeah, one, we are that... looking for a, a pop a pop dance track. That's that's our mission. We've um, we've we yeah that's the that's the goal do you think though right so some of the tracks that we we might name um so for example we were going back a little bit here and that sort of edm tip like and oliver helden's gecko for example yeah we just talked about that on making yeah. tea he's he made a pop dance track and that, but did but did he that's my, my, what was gonna be my question did when martin garrick sat down on animals did Matt, um, oliver helden's when he sat down on gecko sometimes he... you don't know sometimes you just made a track and you feel it's going to be thing and then it flies and then you're off it's that's one of it there, there is there is no 
there is no recipe for this. And because music's evolving so far, the track I'll play later on was in, <laughs> we made it two years ago. Yeah. It's in one form at one BPM. Yeah. The 12 months later on, it's a totally different track. Same vocal, yeah. totally different track. And we've just finished a version, whatever now. It's again, a totally different track, but more relevant to today. Yeah. So you've got to be, there's, there's always a thing with, if you're working with labels, You've got a track, you feel it's now, you want to get it out, but then there's always barriers and red tape with labels. Yeah, just talk, I mean, for people that don't know, I could bore on about it, but explain to people who've never had this process how long you think it takes. So let's just say you and Jack sit down today, right, to start writing a brand new record. Mm -hmm. And even if that process is quite quick, but I mean, explain how long you think that process is. But we start today. Well, we talk about it loads, loads, and to, then... To the point when that record might be released by a label, how long do you think that process is? Best case scenario, yeah. you could be talking two or three months. Okay, I'd say, I, was thinking, I thought you were going to say longer. But I'd, yeah. say, I'd say without any sample clearance, yeah. so there's nothing to clear, the track's 100% original. Um... I'd say two or three months, maybe, like at an absolute rush. If yeah. it's just a, if it's a, not just a club track, but if it's a club track, it's going out on a label that's got a high turnover, maybe yeah. like a release a week, yeah. two releases a week, um, then maybe two or three months at an absolute max. Yeah. And, it, oh, and, it, and then after that, it's like, how long is this piece of string? Yeah. They could say, our release schedule's full up until summer. We think about putting out in September, but then you've already got another track with another label coming out AD in September. Sampler. And it's yeah, exactly yeah. So, um, it is a, but it's a really for people who've never done it. It is a really long process from sort of yes. writing a record. There's loads of admin as well in the daytime. People forget all the the millions of emails that will go around and stuff yeah. like that, and contracts. And again, another another head thing as well. I definitely recommend people if you're signing contracts, get a good legal representative. Yeah, it will cost you money, but there's so much there's so much heads. We're experts in making music, producing music, yeah. marketing the music, talking to labels. That's that's kind of what we do, and, and DJing. We're not experts in the legal side of all this small print. There's going to be stuff in front of you. If you're building a house, you yeah. use all the relevant people. Correct. The relevant you have a team of people around knowledge. you. Yeah. yeah. You can't do everything on your own. And anyone that thinks they're going to do it on their own, well, it's just it's just too much. It's and, too much. And in your opinion, and I'm just like spelling this out for anyone who's listening. Why are you trying to write a pop dance track? Um, we still try. Well, we would. If you make a pop dance track, obviously, we love DJ Me and Jack. Yeah. So obviously, you get a track in the charts. That's the way to get get yourself off touring. If you've yeah. got a number one single, you will be off touring. That's that's, and it's not as easy as that. It's an absolute mindset mission to get there. Um, and and there's, there is, there is, there's no recipe for it. It's just making music that you believe in, analysing what's going on with music nowadays, but also what you like as well. You've got to believe in the tracks you're making and you've got to like the sounds, the drops and everything. I think a really good example of that for some people who are listening is James Hype. I mean, he's a phenomenally talented DJ. Yes. He was and has been a phenomenally talented DJ for a long time. However, that record broke him internationally. You know, like he would now, he would now come and play in Mallorca and stuff. I think for people in the UK that obviously are going to listen to your podcast, yes, James is like the best example of that because he's a like he's a he's a skilled DJ anyway. Yeah, he's a, he's a modern Eddie Halliwell for me, James Hyde. Yeah, he's agreed. like the modern yeah. Eddie Halliwell. I'm down with that. Um, and he's yeah, he, when he would really need more than friends. I remember coming back after September, starting to play in the summer a bit. It wasn't 
as connecting in Mallorca in the summer, but then when I came back for like the freshest period and we were playing in the gigs there, I was just like, fuck me, yeah. this is popping off. Like, yeah. you know, faded down, the whole, the whole room singing it. Yeah. I think I messaged him one night saying, mate, this track's going. Next gig, next night, again the same. Next gig, every, like seven, I think I was doing seven gigs, freshest week. Every night that track just blew it up for me. I was just like, this guy's off, he's off. Yeah. We had the same management as James at that time. Yeah. So it was... um. Good to see. And I know how hard he's worked for that. It's well-deserved. I love seeing things like that happen to guys that have put graft in because he's grafted for so long. And then interestingly, on the converse of that, like, you know, this isn't disrespectful, but it, it, it's true in some respects. Like, for all that Don Diablo has created as mm-hmm. a global, you know, ambassador of Future House, yeah. he perhaps hasn't had that same daytime Radio 1 record like James Hype, for example, maybe has had, like maybe Oliver Heldens has had. Now, so it's, it's still possible to build a global... Yeah, Don's never charted mainstream. In quite the same way. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Gecko did. Yeah, that's just saying Don has had some massive records. Of course he has. Yeah. But he hasn't had maybe that A-list daytime Radio 1 play. But when and if Don does have that, because of his already big fan base, yeah. he's just going to be like catapulted into cra- craziness yeah. if that was to ever happen to Don and I hope it does because he seriously deserves it he's a very talented guy um, but yeah if if you want, like you were going to about Fisher yeah. if you've got the platform there my god he's got the platform then to and it. then he hits the number one hit yeah. boom it's it's just going to be a it's going to be a nuke going off that so if, so if someone's listening and they're kind of trying to get gigs they're trying to maybe he's got a little setup or whatever and, you know, what's just some sort of broad strokes of advice about, about getting into the industry and maintaining, you know, a living within the industry? First of all, I think don't be in it. I think a lot of young DJs nowadays, because of like the, the Martin Garrix era, they just see DJs headlining festivals, smashing it. It takes a long way to get there. If you're going to go down and lock yourself in a studio's route number one, and master production software, but that takes ages, years. And if you're spending all your time making uh, music, you're not going to have any branding, any social media. So my my would be to go out and meet people. I think there's a lot of kids I chat to online nowadays. They'll chat to me online for advice, but when you see them face to face, they're scared. It's like the millennial thing, right? You know, like, they can have a conversation with you online, right? Okay. About anything and everything, and then you meet him in a club face to face, and it's like, "Hi, mate," and you're like, "You're right." And it's like, "Is this the same person I was chatting to?" Yeah. With like about twenty essays on Facebook, a uh, messenger or something, and talk to people, go out there, meet DJs like yourself, um, just find a DJ that's doing well, and be nice, just be a, just be a human being, just talk to people, go out there and say, "Do you, you know I want to get into DJing? Do you mind if I warm up for you?" Even on the first hour, because let's be honest, if yeah. you're playing a club from 10 till 3, do you really want to do that first hour? Yeah. You're not lazy if you say no, but if you if he's a smart lad, yeah. he's, he's well-presented, he's well-mannered, and he says, I want to get into DJing, would you mind helping me out? And, and he's really polite, he's really nice. If he came to you and yeah. said, I've been seeing you DJing, Felix, I like what you play, I like your releases, I, you know, I want to get into DJing, there's any chance I could come and I want to do it for free. No, I'm happy to do it for free. Because you're not going yeah. to get paid for anything for a long time. And that's just the way it is, unfortunately. You've literally just explained um, my mate Ben. That he used to, yeah. just, used to just come to Digital every Saturday. 
years ago, he used to just ask if he could stand in the DJ booth and watch. And he was like, really polite, obviously. Yeah, he was really yeah. polite, he was really nice, he didn't spill drinks, he didn't like yeah. ten girls. Don't be drunk he didn't, he didn't and all the rest away. of that. Yeah. yeah. And he must have he must have just come on a, on a regular basis for about a year before he even asked anything. He just used to stand, watch, then the night he'd say thanks, you know. That's go. probably a better way of saying it, you know, come and say, Do you mind if I watch yeah. rather than saying do you know? And then and then yeah. he used to send me mixes and go, I've just done a new mix, what do you think of the track selection? What do you think like I did it live and what do you think about and it? And all of a sudden you've you've become friends. Then you're friends. Two, three, four months and your friends and then yeah. you're asking one of your friends if your friend will help you out and of course your friend's going to help you out so yeah I get inundated with people DMing me and it's just literally like sort as a gig at BCM <laughs> and I'm like A who are you <laughs> B what the fuck C what the fuck what it's the exactly fuck exactly the response you sent me my my <laughs> my inbox literally going up to summer now is just full of that and it's like you, you've got to just be a, a polite human being. Yeah. I'm never going to reply to a message that's like, yo, bro, you see you in BCM this summer, you're going to sort us a gig out. Oh, yeah, absolutely, mate. I'd absolutely love to sort you a gig out. I know nothing about you, what you yeah. play, how professional you are. Like, it just doesn't work like that. You've got to build a, f- a p- professional friendship and, with I think, people. I, mean, I think go and watch DJs is a, is a great bit of advice. I mean, yeah. I, I spent my formative youth... Travelling around the country with my mates, we used to go to Liverpool, we used to go to Cream, we used to go to yeah. Hatches in Glasgow. Shouldn't ever be out of clubs if you really want oh, to, we did. making we these stand. friends everywhere. Just like you said, mm. right at the start of this, just, I would just stand as close to the DJ booth as I could get, or if I was feeling super cheeky, I'd try and sneak in, but just as close as I could get and just watch Sanchez, just watch Naglia, just watch Halliwell, just watch anyone. But, I mean, I'm still like that now. Like, you know, we have, like, in the last few few months, I've supported, like, Billy Kenny, James Hype, um, Shadow Child. I literally just stand and watch them. What, what's Billy really Kenny like? I really, really. It was, it was wicked. Like he, he um, really wanted to see him because yeah. I see a lot of hype around him. But I've never seen him live, and I, I'm always one of those. If I, see, if I keep seeing someone's name on social media, I'm, I'm banging. To I DJs want to like go see them. Yeah, I'm banging to DJs like that who are kind of prepared to like break the rules a little bit. Prepared to like you know he's not a kind of straightforward. DJ, he's kind of like, he's a bit on that Dennis Sultra tip, he's a bit on that, like, he's prepared to, like, change BPMs, he's prepared to cut. He can, he obviously got all the technical ability, but he's prepared to kind of, like, just do things that are a little bit outside the box. So he's not just going to be 124, 122 just BPM house DJ. All the way. You're just going to yeah. get a bit bit random halfway through the set. Yeah, like, and, yeah, and I love that. And he's, he's got the technical ability to back it up, but he's fun and he, he kind of, you know, he looks up. If, if something's not working, he'll move it around for the crowd. You know what I mean? He'll, he'll kind of, so, like... So go watch Billy Kenny by the yeah. sounds of it. <laughs> pressure and release, like all the stuff that I would, you know, if, if someone was really talking to me about DJing, I'd be like, you've got to work out pressure and release with a crowd. You've got to know when to be building mm-hmm. it, when to be holding it, when to be giving people a moment, when to be like trying to go a little bit, you know, deeper or whatever. And I love watching people build sets. I love people mm-hmm. trying to work out what's going on in the room and how they have to move it. And especially that skill of like, so I was talking to James, like we had James Hype on Saturday and he was doing another gig somewhere else. So he didn't get to us till two o'clock. And I'd been playing since 11. Do you know what I mean? And I was yeah. like, so I was like, it's quite a thing to, to warm up for you for that long. That's a skill. It's a skill, yeah. yeah. And obviously you spend your summer doing it with yeah. some of the biggest names in the world. Um, and I know it's it's one of those things that's often like it's a bit of a DJ Facebook whinge on, isn't it? Like the art of the warm-up DJ has been lost. But it is a real art. It's a real skill to be able to like put it in a place. for. We've walked into then... some clubs and there's a guy just going... Hard as nails, playing stuff we would play, Pete during our set. And yes, it's like, I remember, I remember seeing Mr. Jam having a rant about, I think it was in Freshers' time, like yeah. like warm up DJs. I think he'd gone to loads of gigs and they were just smashing it out, young lads. And it's just, 
it's just I think you've got to you're not gonna if the main DJ this is a way to see it so you're warming up for a big DJ right he is a big he's he's being booked as a headline act he's probably getting paid a considerable fee he has a good fan base he'll have great contacts and you want to be his friend you need to be friends with that guy, right? <laughs> he's smashing life. The only reason you're warming up for him is because he's better than you, okay? So he's achieved far more with his career by either, either music or promotion or however else. Yeah. You need to be friends with this guy. You need to be friends with everybody in this industry. The more friends you have, the more your network is, and you need to take something. What you're not going to do is become friends with him by playing a banging warm-up set. You've got to get the crowd, like... You've got to nearly bring them to the boil, but not bring them to the boil. You know, yeah. that pan of pasta's on the, on the gas. Yeah. You, you're not cu- you nearly cooked it, but you haven't quite cooked it. You can drop a couple of bangers because you have to get them revved. But then you've got to, like, bring them back down, you know, yeah. just before they come on, I think. And that's, I think, I think summary, that's how a lot of artists would like it to be. Shoot me down if I'm wrong, but... In summary, one of DJs, it's not about you. Like, Correct. It's not about your Instagram Correct. moment of dropping no. huge It's like record. me and BCM, as, as yeah. PBH and BCM... I am I'm a warm-up act. Yeah. I am a warm-up act, and I have to be very respectful for the, the guys that are coming after me because it is not about me. It's about them, BCM, and a show and a journey. When it's PBH and Jack Shizzle show, that's me thing. and Jack playing our sound, yeah. and we have a sound. We play when we're live, and that's we do it. But when it's PBH as a, as a, as a warm-up, as a resident... It's, it's a different kind of There's also another skill, and I, I've done it once when I came to see you and you do it. You also go on after some of the biggest DJs in the world, like back on after their And set. you have to grab that room within a split <laughs> second with the yeah. biggest bomb in your box to keep that crowd interested. There's 4,000 people in front of you and, like, you know, say, like, Hardwell's just come off the decks or someone or um, of that calibre and... You've got to grab them instantly. You've got to grab them talk to me instantly. About, talk to me about that. So I've I've done it in BCM, I've done it in ministry, I've done it in digital. But talk to me about about the difference. So we've talked about the mindset of a warm DJ. Talk to me about the mindset of when you've got to go on and do another hour, another hour and a half after Hardwell, Tiesto, Danny Howard, Mr. Jam, whoever. What's, what's... that's 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 a different kind of fish. That's yeah. when you can kind of that's that's like when I get to play what I want effectively. That's yeah. obviously like the. The, you you're, you get to DJ then you get to you know you, there's no reins on you then yeah the chains are off you know you're gonna you're gonna, go, you're gonna hit that punch bag hard you're in the gym you you're, you're, you're smashing that punch bag to bits um, you can be a lot more creative uh, musically you're gonna be playing what you want as opposed to what's right in yeah. some respects what's what's etiquette one one thing I would say to other DJs as well is how to get into DJing I learn by mobile DJing. Now, a lot of DJs, if I speak to them, they say, how did you get into DJing? I'll say, I did mobile discos. It's, it's a really good way to get into DJing. They, they laugh at me. And today, that's still the best advice I'd give to someone is doing mobile discos because if you're doing a mobile disco, and this is the word mobile disco sounds, you're playing to a room full of strangers. Yeah. So you've got some kids that are 15 years old who are going to want some, some tracks you've probably never heard of because yeah. 15-year-old kids are bang on the mark for music. They're so, they're good to be around. They're like, they're like, that's where music's going in two years. You've got to listen to them. And then there's 18 year olds and 20 year olds who are a bit more mainstream or they've gone off on the tech house avenue they want or the bass house. And then you've got your mums, your dads and your grands and your granddads. So if you can keep a room full of those people happy playing some Motown, some 70s, some 60s. Go get the door. Right, Coke, back, in, put some back in the room. Right, this is how we end the podcast. 
Um, do, you me, do you want me to touch on the thing I was going on? Because I think I have to finish that. Where are you going on? What are, you, what are we talking about? About DJing discos and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, more about sure. discos. We're back in the room. Reading now. the room. So, my, my, my advice would be to anyone that specifically, not music production, but if you want to be a DJ, yeah. you actually want to be a DJ and learn the trade, do discos. Find a local company that's doing discos. It sounds so dull and boring, this, because it's far away from the glamour and glitz of, you know, studying a DJ stand in a cool nightclub with your hands in the air and everyone doing it, playing the YMCA at a disco. But if you can DJ to a room full of people of all ages, kids to adults and grands and granddads, if you can master that art, and it is an art and a skill, if you can master that art, then playing to a gig of whatever your specific genre is, drum and bass or house, tech house, a room full of like-minded people is a piece of piss compared to playing a mobile disco or a wedding or something like that. So I would honestly say, hand on heart, learn that trade, learn that side of things, because it'll also bring a bit more variation to your sets. Like you'll just learn certain old genres and things and there'll just be like something you might just sample in halfway through a set and think, you know what, I'm just going to throw this in tonight. Yeah. Whether it goes down like a ton of lead balloons or not, you but know. I was going to talk to you as well on that sense of like, the more music that you know, the more music that you expose yourself to, even if you're going to start producing, you would be blown away. There's a great website, which I'm sure you know about that, Who Sampled Who. And it's like, if you, but if you... It's crazy. But if you, you won't realise, anyone listening here, and, and I'm sure there's still a thousand tracks that I'm not aware of, you will not realise how much stuff that you I'm know... I'm allowed to open a can of Coke. Go for it. This is a can of Coke opening. Sample that. Um, but you will not realise how much of the records, how many records you love are old vocals, old beat samples. It scares me when we're in the yeah. studio and we find a track and we're like, remember how that track did that? Gaz yeah. will be like, do you remember how that track did that? Or I'll say how that track built like that and he'll say no then we'll go on it and then puts it into who sampled who yeah. and we're like you find out a track you've listened to all your life is not an original track yeah. it's ripped off another one and yeah. you're like what? and even that's been influenced by something else and that was written by you know, go on yeah. whosampledwho.com put yeah. in your favourite five tracks yeah. from back in the day that you ones your mums and dads used to listen to the ones you think and believe are original tracks put them in who sampled who and, and it and will blow, blow your, mind. your mind. It will blow your mind. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap up with this. This is the end of the podcast every single time. You're going to get a dream gig, a dream lineup. You get to pick your venue. So it can be a club, it can be a festival, it can be a mobile hall, it can be whatever you want it to be. And you get to pick three DJs. You can be on the lineup yourself if you want. Uh, or you can just create your own lineup. It can be dead, alive, doesn't matter the cost. Uh, and you, so we'll get a venue, a location, and we get, uh, not a location, sorry, like a venue, like whether it be a club or, you know, and you can pick your favourite club or your favourite festival or whatever. And then we want an opening DJ, a middle DJ, and a, a third end DJ. An opening DJ, a middle DJ, a third, so three people yeah, three, plus three myself. DJs. No, no, you can pick yourself as one Ooh. of the three if you want. Oh, wow. You don't have to. Wow. Um, but I want, a, I want a venue, so you could pick BCM or you could pick a little club. Right, okay, so I'll, I'm going to do it as a, as like... My birthday party. Okay. So yeah. if I'm having a PBH's party, birthday party. My birthday party. I would like on this thing, uh, I'm going to pick BCM because I've had the best nights of my career there. Yeah. And it's such a beast of a sound system to play on. Yeah. It's an amazing club. It's all built around the DJ stand. It's yeah. just acoustically an amazing room to play in and perform in. Um, Daft Punk would have to open up for me okay. on my birthday. Um, so Daft Punk on first. Yeah. Um, and then I'd also like 
Who's on, who's on this is this is really tricky. I remember you telling me this the other day, and I started thinking about. I got as far as Daft Punk now. I'm like, uh, uh, it's really hard one to choose. Um, I'd then say um, Cal Cox in the middle. So we've had a nice kind of funky French yeah acts, but just kind of yeah, yeah exactly the disco vibe just to kind of Cal's, ease us into it. Cal's gone techno. Cal's brought the rave. Carl's brought the rave and you're probably getting money's worth because Carl Cox just seems to play forever. It could be, you know, five or six hours later we've got yeah. someone else to end the night. And then after Who, that Who's on after who's going on after Daft Punk and Carl Cox? Um Easy one to follow. I'd probably say the nineteen seventy five. I like I like them at the minute. You're gonna so put a band on. I'm gonna put a band on at the nice. end, yeah, just to kind of close the Left night field. off. Left field, I like it. Yeah. Okay. Left field would have been a good booking. But so we've got BCM. Daft Punk opening, Carl Cox, 1975 to finish. Um, it was a close between Prodigy and Daft Punk, but I went Daft Punk. Okay. Um, and I've brought you a present to finish the... Uh, oh, wow. Just to finish the podcast. Leather jacket. Um, no, 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 no. In the pocket. I forgot, where is it? This one around here. Yeah, I've never had them before, so don't don't complain if they're, they're disgusting. Uh, got you an Oreo cabri cream egg. Oh, sick. Thank you very much. Hey, you're bringing me a white cream egg then. I've never had them, so you know, let me grand, know. How they are. Ten grand if you find a white cream egg. Thank you very much. No problem. Will... PBH, thank you for being on the podcast. It's thank been you a pleasure. Felix. Felix Lighters in the house. The podcast about DJs, what they do, and who they are.